This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Funding for Igeret Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Middle of chapter 5, page 1051. The verse says, in the end of Deuteronomy, in the Song of Azino, the verse says that the Jewish people are a part of God, and Jacob is the rope of his inheritance. So he's, the verse is talking about two different things, two different levels of the soul. The source of the soul in heaven is a chelik alakam, is a chelik Hashem Amma, is a piece of Hashem, is a piece of God. And as he explained in great detail in the previous chapter, that it, it com, it's comprised of the four letters, the four divine letters. It's a reflection of the divine, just like God emanates from within himself and God expresses himself through the four letters of God's name, personal name, unique and exclusive name. Yud and the Hay and the Vav and the Hay, as he explained in great detail what it refers to in the divine, so too within the Jewish soul, you also have reflected all of these qualities, all of these attributes, the Yud and the Hay and the Vav and the Hay. But that's the, the soul, where the soul is in its source, in its root, in its essence. But then you have where the soul enters into the body, the way the soul interfaces with the body the ordinary human life. And that's what the second half of the verse refers to. The second half of the verse refers to that Jacob is the rope of his inheritance. What's the analogy of a rope? Why does the Torah use the analogy of a rope? So he explains. The analogy is of a rope on the bottom of page 1051, whose upper end is bound above, and the lower end below. So too, the upper end of the soul is bound above, and its lower end is enclosed within the body. The purpose of a rope is, when you're standing on the bottom, and you can't reach the roof, because despite what the New Age people say, we are limited, you may jump off a roof, but no matter how hard you try, no matter how sincere you are, you can't jump onto the roof. On the ground floor. So you're on the ground floor. How do you affect what's going on in the roof? So the one on the roof throws you a rope. By you tugging your end of the rope, you, you can affect like a bell. You can, you can sit in the bottom, and by pulling the rope, the bell rings on the top. By, the rope is attached. The rope is attached above, way beyond your reach. You can't reach it. But by the rope, the rope reaches your level. And by you tugging the rope, you can have an effect 
to a place which is unreachable, which is totally beyond you. So too, the soul is compared to a rope. Because there's the one end of the rope is tied in, is connected to above, to the divine, to be, that's beyond. But the other end of the rope is tied in with where you are at right now. Soul in a body, clothed in the body, living your life. So that's the analogy of the rope. This is all an explanation for what he said earlier that when the soul enters into the body, this is through God's utterance, through God's speech. Why did God speak and God say, let us make man? Since man's soul is essentially comes from God's breath and is God's breath, and yet we find that God also spoke, let us create man. Now there's a huge difference between speech and breath. The difference is, when you speak, even if there's an obstruction, the speech, the sound waves, can go through obstructions. You can be on one side of the door, and the other person on the other side of the door, and you can speak to each other. You'll hear each other, even though there, there's something between you, blocking you. You can't see them, but you can hear them. But when you breathe, when you breath, if you blow your breath, if there's an obstacle, the breath will not, it will stop the breath in its path. It won't allow the breath to continue. So that's why the Torah uses the analogy of God breathing. It says God breathed into his nostrils. And into his nostrils, as he explained, we discussed the other time, is referring to the way the soul enters into the body, the way the soul interfaces into the body, which is the level of God's speech. So why does the Torah use the analogy of breath when it's really a result of God's speech? So he explains because it does retain the element of breath. Although it's God's speech, but nevertheless it does retain the element of breath. That just like by breath, if there is an obstacle, the breath can go further. It, it interferes with the breath. It doesn't allow the breath to reach on the other side. So too, even when the soul enters into the body, when a person sins, it creates an obstacle. It blocks. It doesn't allow the divine breath to enter into the body. And with this he'll explain, with this he explains why is it that a Jew who sins as a consequence he receives the punishment which is called karas, that his life is cut off. Because since the Jew's life is divine, not only the root and the source of the Jew's life is divine, but even the Jew's life here and now, in this physical world, as he's fully engaged in the physical world and interfaces with the body. Yet his life is essentially divine. And he retains that divine quality. So therefore, 
that divine quality, just like breath, needs to be continuously and constantly re needs to be reanimated and re that breath is a constant blowing of breath. What happens if you create an obstacle? If you create a sin, then the breath can't reach. And therefore, since the breath can't reach, it cuts off, like chokes the person off from the source of life. And the Jew physically feels it. When a Jew is cut off from godliness, he physically feels it. It has a physical effect. On the Not just a, sp- a spurt. That's what he's describing now. He says the simple meaning of the words that he blew stated in reference to the souls vestitude within the body is to instruct us that just as, for example, if one blows in some direction and if there's any separation or obstruction there, then the exhaled breath will not reach that place at all. So too, precisely this is the case if any obstruction separates man's body from the breath of the Supreme One, concerning which the verse states, he blew. So he's trying to explain why is it that only the Jew is affected. The non-Jew sins, he doesn't get cut off, he doesn't die, his life is not affected. Why is it that when the Jew sins, he shrivels up and dies? Why? And the answer is because even the physical life of the Jew is bound up and connected with the, with the divine. Because he receives his life through breath, unlike the rest of creation, including the angels, which come as a result of God's speech. So speech is formed and speech is a fact. Speech is like an entity. You say something and it has a life of its own. It has an, it's an entity. But breath comes from within. Breath is an extension of you. An expression of you. And that's why you have to constantly, continuously breathe. You can speak and walk away. But you can't Breathe. You have to constantly breathe. And if there's an obstacle to the breath, then the breath can't reach. It can't reach its, its, its target. So when you create an obstacle, it doesn't allow the divine life force, the divine energy, to, to animate and to give life. So although the rest of creation is also created through the divine, but it's created through the divine speech, per se. Since it's created through the divine speech, therefore, even if the entity sins, it still exists. It doesn't interfere with its existence. But when a Jew sins, it interferes with his physical existence. Is that physical why there are only 14 million Jews in this world of seven 
billion people? There should have been. Since we're the most ancient people in the world, 3,800 years old, so just by natural growth, the Jewish people today should have multiplied and should have been. But because of exiles and destructions and pogroms and the Holocaust and unfortunately assimilation and all the tr- 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 travails and tribulations, so yes, that has definitely cut down the number of Jews. The Torah tells us that the Jewish existence is dependent on our Torah. We existed for 3,800 years only because of the Torah. The fact is, any Jew that's alive today, all 14 million, every last one of them, has a picture of a grandparent, or at most a great-grandparent, that's observant, that was observant, that was a committed Jew, that without any interruption, from Moses, from Abraham, till a generation two or three ago, were observant through thick and thin, survived the Greeks and survived the Romans and overcame the harshest difficulties and was so committed. Thousands of years without any interruption. Because if you look throughout Jewish history, any Jew that left the Torah and the mitzvah, that abandoned the Torah, disappeared. You won't find a fourth generation reform. It's a rear to non-existent. There is no fourth generation. Once you walk away from Torah, it doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't, you can't survive. So the Jewish, physical Jewish existence, the physical survival of the Jew is dependent on his connection to the divine, to Torah. Without that divine connection, the Jew physically cannot survive. And that's a fact proven throughout history, consistently, time and time again. And we're seeing it today also. Has this been written about much and explained like they're doing now? It has. Do people pay attention? That's another question. (laughs) That's another question. But it's a fact. If you want to look at it honestly and objectively, it's it's a fact. Just look at the history. And every Jew that's alive today, that's why in the, in the Seder, we only have the four sons. We have the wise son, the wicked son, the simpleton, and the one who has no curiosity and doesn't even know how to ask any questions. The question is, why isn't there a fifth son? Because that's the progression. The first Jew who came from Eastern Europe and came to America like the wise one. He was observant, he was committed, traditional. The next generation rebelled. The next generation, like the, the simpleton, they still have warm memories of growing up with grandma and grandpa and keeping kosher and sitting at a seder with the whole family and, you know, and the whole... Jewish way of life, going to synagogue and Yom Kippur, and they still have memories. It's not, some, it's not a living, dynamic reality for them, because they didn't have it growing up in their own homes, so they're not rebelling, and they're not, but they just have a simple nostalgia, they have the memories of the Yiddish, and the, the humor, and, the, and the, that whole feeling. And you have the next generation. next generation doesn't have any memories of, of Bubby and Zaidi. 
of the Jewish grandma and Jewish grandpa. There is no. They don't have any memories of lighting candles, of keeping kosher, of putting on tefillin. So they don't even know what to ask. They're sitting at the seder, but they have no clue really what's going on. And then the next generation is not sitting at a seder. There is no next generation. It comes to it. Then you get, and then you end up with the self-hating Jew who supports the Palestinians and dedicates his life to fight the Jewish people. Erroneously thinking that that's, that's the right thing to do. Turning against your own brothers and sisters and using every opportunity to denigrate and humiliate your own brothers and sisters while supporting murderers and, arch, and your arch enemies. The Jewish people, the physical survival of the Jewish people is divine, is miraculous. You can't, you can't disconnect it from godliness. That's what he's saying. God blew into his nostrils. We're talking about in his physical being. When the soul has already entered into the body and interfaces with the body and his physical being, his physical existence. The Torah is telling us you can't survive. The physical existence of the Jew is dependent 100% on his spiritual health and well-being. If we are plugged in and we're connected to Torah, then we're alive. And if not, we don't stand a chance. And it's been proven time and time again throughout history. And every Jew that's alive today because our ancestors were plugged in and were connected without any interruption for thousands of years. Despite the greatest difficulties, they were so passionately committed. So that's, and, but this is something that's unique to the Jew. That their physical well-being is dependent on their spiritual well-being. Most people, you don't see that connection. What's the connection? My well-being has to do with my cleverness and my industry and my wealth and my success. What does, what, does, what does one have to do with the other? But for a Jew, it has everything to do with it. It has, it has, it has nothing to do with anything else. Only with this. Exclusively. Not because of our cleverness, not because of our might, not because of our strength. It's purely... The healthier we are, the more divine we are, the more connected we are, the more the breath of life, the divine breath of life, that's what sustains us. Nothing else. It's just the breath. But that breath is the breath of life. It's the divine. The more rooted we are, the more connected we are, the more the breath of life is able to reach us and sustain us. That's what, that sustains us physically as well. But the rest of creation, which comes about through God's speech, God's speech is something external, and therefore, even if they sin, one has nothing to do with the other. They can live happy lives and be very successful and thrive. It works for them, but it doesn't work for us. It never has, and it never will. Not for us. Because, you know, 
we're made up of something else. It just, it just doesn't work for us. So even the physical life of the the external life, which comes about through God's speech, let us make man, even that also comes, is connected to the idea of, of breath, something inward. And therefore, if there's an obstruction, then it doesn't allow the breath to pass through. But the question is, what possible obstruction could there be to the divine breath? Nothing, there can be nothing that can get in the way of the divine. God is everywhere. There's no space empty of God. How could there be something that interferes, that gets in the way of the divine? So he says in the middle of page 1053, the truth is though, that nothing material or spiritual is a barrier before him. Of course we know that God is everywhere. That's a simple, basic belief that every Jew believes. There's no space empty of God. Of course we know God is everywhere. But that's not, that's not what he's trying to explain. He's trying to explain this. God is everywhere because from God's point of view, there's nothing but God. So God is everywhere. But the question is, Is God everywhere, even in our space? Could we create an obstacle for God? So he says, we can't. Because God is everywhere, God is even in our space. Even in our space, and in our frame of reference, and even in our reality, God is everywhere. There's no space empty of God. And he brings four... He brings four proofs to support this statement. That nothing material or spiritual is a barrier before him. So he quotes, first he quotes the verse in Jeremiah. Do I not fill heaven and earth? We're not talking about from God's perspective. From God's perspective, there is no heaven, there is no earth. All there is is God. So of course God is everywhere and there's no space empty of him. That's a simple faith. Every Jew. But even where there is a heaven, from our point of view, there is a heaven, and there is an earth, and there's a distinction between heaven and earth. Even our space God fills up. Why not fill heaven and earth? Furthermore, Scripture states, in Isaiah, all of the world is full of His glory. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And as the Zohar says, there is no place devoid of it. And as it says in the Torah, in the heavens above and the earth below, there is none else. And He fills all the worlds. So the question is, since God is everywhere and within everything, it is thus seemingly impossible for anything to act as a barrier before? How could you say that there could be a barrier that could interfere with the divine breath, with the divine breath? It could be nothing that we can throw up that can act as a barrier. Because God fills heaven and earth and everything is within heaven and everything is within earth. So there's nothing that we can put up and throw up that can, that can be a barrier to God. So it's not only that in general there's nothing that exists besides God and therefore God is everywhere. But even that, God, that God's breath should reach us 
as a body, as a soul in a body, even in our physical existence, in our physical reality, as the soul interfaces with the body, and as we live in, on the plane, on the dimension, the physical, and the simple physical dimension, even there the divine breath should be able to reach. There should be nothing that should interfere between the, the, the divine breath, breath of life, and us. And yet he's saying that, no, there is an interference. There could be an interference. What could possibly interfere? What could possibly intervene? What could possibly be, act as a barrier that does not allow the breath of life, the breath of God, to enter into our existence, our consciousness into our existence? But as Isaiah declares, chapter 59, only your sins separate you from your God. The only thing that could act as a barrier is sin. You know the analogy? You can have two best friends. And love transcends time and space. One could live here in New York and the other one could live in Melbourne, Australia. One end of the world to the other. And yet you feel so close. You feel each other. Because love transcends all boundaries. But then you can have two people standing right next to each other. And they could be, they might as well, one might as well be on Mars, and the other one might as well be here. They turn away from each other. One faces east, and one faces west. They can't stand each other. They hate each other. So they're physically they're close, and yet they couldn't be farther apart. So when the Jew turns against God, he has no interest, consciously, he has no conscious interest in God, in godly, in anything godly. I couldn't care less. I have no time. I have no energy. I'm not interested. I'm too busy. I'm busy with uh, whatever I'm busy with. Everything except godliness. I have no time and energy to give, to give a minute's thought, a minute's concentration, a minute's time to give God a minute of thought, to be open to appreciate, the desire, to want, to want to connect. Then God is here, but He turned His back on him. And that's why the verse says, interesting, your sin is a separation between you and your God. It's only between you and your God. It's a one-sided separation. God is not separating Himself from you. There is no separation from God's point of view. There is no barrier. Because God fills all the worlds and fills your space and even fills this world where people turn their back against Him. And yet He's here and present and He wants to have a relationship with you. It's a one-sided way. You turned your back on Him. You've sinned. You rebelled. Imagine the body rebelling against the soul. You tell your hand to move and your, your hand speaks back. I'm an American. I have rights. <laughs> I don't want to. can't force me. I'll take you to court. <laughs> what, what right? What kind of kfiatatit? You're forcing me to move my hand? I don't want to move my hand. Okay. It's a very sick person. So a body disconnects itself from its soul. From its soul. Disconnects itself from God. It's a barrier. 
we call it a stroke, or we call it other names. It's, it's, it's a very unhealthy situation. So you've created the barrier. You don't allow the flow of life. You don't allow the flow of life to come. You have created the barrier. Your ego and your arrogance has created the barrier. You don't allow God to enter. Of course, God is everywhere. And God even fills your space. But you, from your part, you have created a barrier. And you're not allowing God's breath of life. You're not allowing it to flow. You're not allowing it to... And as a result, the Jew physically suffers. It's not okay, so I'm not spiritually perfect. <laughs> so my Jewish life is, I'm not following the code of Jewish law. I'm, I'm writing my own code of Jewish law. It doesn't work for us. The Jew physically suffers. Because you can't disconnect. That's the whole point of this chapter. You can't disconnect the physical life of it. The down-to-earth, the physical life and the success in life from His divine connection. Because even the physical life comes from God's breath. That's what the Torah says. He breathed into His nostrils. We're talking about into His nostrils. We're talking about the soul entering into the body, interfacing in the body, the conscious level, as it interacts and interfaces and operates in this dimension of time and space in the physical, earthy, material world. And yet, the Torah uses the analogy of breath. Breath comes from within. And you have to allow the breath through. It's not like the rest of creation. The rest of creation is through speech. Speech, there could be a barrier, but I could speak, speak through a barrier. It doesn't, it doesn't interfere. I can hear the person's voice from the other side of the wall, the other side of the fence. But if there's, a, if there's a wall, there's a barrier, and I breathe, it doesn't, it obstructs, it can't get through. The Jew has blocked his life, it just can't get through. You've created the barrier. When you create a sin, you created the barrier. Any sin. You've stopped the breath, you've stopped the flow of, of the breath of life, the divine breath of life, from entering into your consciousness, entering into your being entering into your heart and mind and from entering into your body. And you're depriving yourself of that life. Our life depends on our physical life. depends. Why is that? Why is sin a barrier? The reason is that sins oppose the will of the Supreme One who gives life to all. As in the verse... In Psalms, Psalm 135, whatever God wills, He has done in heaven and on earth. So all of life is sustained through God's will. God desired to create this world. And He desired to create this world for a reason, for a purpose. But by going against the divine will, by committing a sin, you're going against the divine will. Therefore, you're going against the whole desire of creation. God desired creation for a reason. But if you violate God's will, you're depriving, you're depriving the whole reason for creation. And again, that's why, once again, this affects the Jew. Because the rest of the world, the rest of creation, takes existence for granted. 
Who stops and thinks and questions and asks themselves, why did God create us? What's the purpose? What's the mission? What's it all about? Why are we here? The Jew. The Torah. Torah gives us the reason behind everything. Why did God create this? What's its divine purpose? What's its divine reason? That's the only reason why God created it. But that's the inner life. That's, an, that's a subtle question. That's an inner question. The rest of creation takes existence for granted. I am. I exist. I don't have to question why. I take my existence for granted. It's as solid as anything. I am. What do you mean why? There is no, I am. Because I am. I don't need a why. I don't need a rhyme or a reason. I am. Period. So you sin, you don't sin, I exist. But when you connect it to the inner, then you ask the question, why? And everything that exists has a reason. Some things exist in order to be embraced. Holy things. Some things exist because they could be utilized for the good, kosher things. Things that are neutral, that are not good, not bad, but depends how you use it, depends what you do with it. You can take the internet and do beautiful things with it. You can take TV and do beautiful things with it. It's very educational, depends what you do with it. It's neutral. Then you have things which are poisonous. And the purpose why they're there is to keep away from it, to discard it, to reject it. And there are certain things that are so toxic, the whole purpose is that they have to be destroyed. Like tumors, Amalek, Hamanijan, pure Hitler, pure, unadulterated, absolute evil. They serve one purpose and one purpose only. Their whole purpose is that they have to be completely killed, destroyed, obliterated. And only then will you be healthy. Just like tumors in the body. What the only purpose is, not to have pity and compassion and to have a cup of coffee with them. And to make peace with them. And to accommodate them. Their whole purpose is they have to be destroyed. And then, and only then, could you live in peace and in health. But that's only when you're connected to the root, when you're connected to the divine, then you ask yourself the question. Everything that exists in God's world is broken down to any of these four categories. Is it something I should embrace? Is it something holy? I can do a mitzvah with it. Is it something neutral, but I can use it for the good? Is it something, a prohibition, something negative that's poison, I have to stay away from and reject it? Or is it something so toxic that I have to obliterate it and fight it and destroy it? But unless you're connected to the divine, unless you're rooted to the divine, you don't ask these questions. Everything has to be accommodated. Everything that exists has equal, equal rights, equal reality. So I have to give equal reality. You know, in the UN, they give equal reality to, to Iran, a rogue terrorist regime. Everyone else have to be, have to be fear-minded, have to be equal. Who am I? Who am I to condemn? Who am I to say that this one is to be open to everyone. As our president said, right in the beginning of his presidency, we have to sit down and have coffee with him. 
can't just dismiss him. We have to, we have to accommodate everyone. There's absolutely zero ability to be able to evaluate what's what, what's up and what's down, what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil and what needs to be accommodated and what needs to be destroyed. We have absolute moral equivalency. Every, you don't know who's right and who's good and, and you lump everyone together and everyone is an equal vote and everyone is equal. So the rest of the world takes everything at face value. Existence is a fact. Connected, you're not connected. What difference does it make? But for the Jew who's connected, not only his soul is connected, in, in a sublime, otherworldly way. But physically connected. His physical survival depends on, his, on that connection. Because he gets his physical survival from the breath of God. God blew into his nostrils. Therefore, the Jew is connected to that inner question. What's the purpose? Why did God create this? What does God want out of this? What's the, what's the intent? What did God desire from, from this entity? And therefore, if you go against the will of God, against the whole will of creation, against the whole purpose why God created this object, and instead of doing the right thing, you violated, you sinned, then you've, you've created an obstacle. The whole inner purpose why this was created is violated. Then God loses his interest. Why did I create this? I didn't create this just so it should be here. The world has no just it's here because it's here. There's no such thing. The world inherently doesn't exist. The only reason the world exists is because there's a divine plan. And if you do something to destroy the divine plan, then God has no desire in this existence altogether then who cares about this? Then, then it's a truly arbitrary, meaningless existence, and it means nothing, and it is nothing, and it truly is nothing. It only exists if it's fulfilling the divine plan. If it's filling the, fulfilling the divine plan, then it's part of God's creation. So when a person fulfills the divine plan, follows the seven Noahide laws, and fulfills the divine plan, then his reality becomes real. But if you're not fulfilling the divine plan, then you're truly nothing. You're truly, absolutely nothing, meaningless, irrelevant. It, it, it means absolutely nothing. But who's connected to that truth? The Jew is connected to that truth. And therefore, the moment we sin, we create an obstacle. We are not fulfilling the divine plan. And therefore it affects us. And it affects us physically. If we are not fulfilling the divine plan, the divine will, why God created us, then we are in danger. It's, it's a clear and present threat to our physical well-being. It creates an obstacle. It doesn't allow the divine breath of life to flow freely. And to sustain us. He says in the parentheses, it has been noted above, that the supreme will is the source of the sustenance issuing from God's 
personal and exclusive name and is represented in the thorn on top of the letter Yud. So since all of creation is sustained from the divine name, so it follows that sin, which acts in opposition to it, also oppose and conceal the divine life force. Sins are therefore capable of preventing the divine breath from reaching man. And he says, this then is the meaning of excision. This is what the Torah means, that if the true sins, your life is cut off from you. What does it mean? It continues in page 1055. It says, the rope drawn from the final hay in the four-letter name of God is severed, is cut off. As a result, the soul clothed within the body is unable to receive vitality from its source in that divine name. So here he's actually introducing another concept. Because there's two levels of how the soul receives its divine sustenance and nourishment. How the soul and the body receives its divine nourishment. One is through the divine breath. But the divine breath is continuous. You have to constantly breathe. The breath comes to an end and you have to breathe again. If you blow, you quickly run out of breath. You have to blow again and blow again. You have to constantly blow. And what happens if you obstruct the breath? The breath can't get through. Any obstruction, even a minor obstruction. If you blow and there's an obstruction, you have a, a, it doesn't matter if it's a steel wall or if it's a piece of cardboard. If you blow, or a piece of paper even, if you blow, it doesn't allow the breath to go through. So it doesn't matter if it's a minor sin or it's a major sin, even a minor sin. If you intervene, if you don't allow the breath, the flow of the breath, of the divine breath, the flow, it interferes. Even the smallest sin, the moment you do something that goes against the divine will, you've created an obstacle and you don't allow the divine breath to flow. But then there's a lower aspect of the soul. And that's the analogy, that's what he uses the analogy, the verse uses the analogy of a rope. The rope that's on the bottom is already there. The rope is already formed. You don't have to constantly recreate the rope. The rope is there. But the rope is attached to the top, to the roof, to the ceiling, to the, to the top. Once the rope has already been lowered down and one end of the rope is connected to the roof and the other end of the rope is connected to the bottom, so the rope is there. But now if you take an action and you cut the rope, by taking an action and cutting the rope, then you sever the connection between one end of the rope and the other end of the rope, between the lower and the higher. So here there is a difference whether you do a small sin or you do a major sin. If you do a small sin, then it's like a rope that's made up of 613 strands. So every time you do a sin, you cut a thread. The rope is still there. It's a little weaker, but it's still there. You can still tug at it. It's still connected. But you, you've weakened it. 
when you do a major sin that the Torah says that the consequence of this sin is cars, your life is cut off because you've taken a knife and you've cut the whole rope you've severed the whole connection you ate on Yom Kippur you didn't celebrate Passover you didn't make a circumcision by doing something like that you've taken and completely severed your connection your whole connection to Judaism has become severed And therefore you're no longer connected. So in order to sever this connection that's already firm and established, a minor sin can sever that connection. Only a major sin. A minor sin could do damage. could weaken the connection. could weaken the rope. So now it's, 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 it's not as strong. But nevertheless, you're still connected. I sin, but I'm a Jew. Certain things I can't do. Certain things I must do. I'm a Jew. But when a person severs those connections, he can eat on Yom Kippur, and he can do those things, then he lost his connection with his Jewishness. He has severed, consciously severed his connection with his Jewishness. That's what the Torah says. That's when the Torah says you're cut off. You've cut off your, your soul from your people. You've cut off your soul from the divine. However, the higher level of the soul, the inner level of the soul, even when you do a minor mitzvah, a minor sin, any sin, you don't allow the life, the flow of the breath of life, the divine breath of life, to enter into your body. It doesn't matter if it's a paper barrier or if it's a steel reinforced concrete barrier. It's a major sin or a minor sin. The moment you're not living by the divine will, the moment you've rebelled against the divine will, and you're not doing what Hashem wants you to do, you've created a barrier. And the divine life flow can no longer flow into, into, into you. You've cut yourself off. And therefore you lose that spiritual sensitivity. You lose that divine sensitivity. You no longer feel consciously, you no longer feel plugged in and connected. When you don't sin and you're doing everything Hashem wants you to do, then you're totally plugged in and you're totally connected and consciously connected. And, and your physical health and well-being is being sustained by the divine breath of life. You're being carried by the divine breath of life. You're so connected and so tuned in and it resonates within you and you're so alive with the ultimate life the life the divine life which sustains you physically and brings you physical life health and well-being and success and etc but what if you sin you create a barrier you lose that divine conscious connection but nevertheless the rope is still there the lower level I'm a Jew I'm, maybe I'm sinning and I'm not my life is not aligned with the divine will and I'm not doing everything that Hashem wants me to do as spelled out in the code of Jewish law but I'm a Jew there's no question about that okay maybe I have a few minor sins here and there okay and every sin does a little damage a little snippet 
okay, I snipped the one thread, another thread. Of course, if you do a whole bunch of minor sins, it can add up. You know, you start cutting every single thread. By the time you're done, there's nothing left. But nevertheless, the rope is still there. I would never touch the rope. I would never touch my Jewishness. I would never touch something that touches the very core and essence of my being. But when you do a sin that the Torah says you cut yourself off from your people, you don't circumcise, you eat on Yom Kippur, you don't celebrate Passover. Oh, wow, this is, this is serious. Those are sins which the Torah says the consequence is karis. Your soul is cut off from its people. Wow. Now, it reminds me of a beautiful article in the New York Times written by a Jewish doctor. You know, there's a whole medical controversy whether um, circumcision. You know, most American babies are circumcised by way of uh, routine. And uh, there was a whole medical controversy whether it's beneficial, there's any health benefits or not. And the doctor starts out the article that we find circumcision in ancient tribes, and then he quotes the Bible. The Torah says that God commanded Abraham, you should circumcise yourself and circumcise your children and your household and on the eighth day. And, and, and if you don't circumcise, then you will be cut off from your people. And then he goes into the whole medical controversy, and this Jewish doctor weighs in with the opinions that hold that it's detrimental to the child. There's no point in circumcising. There's there's no reason why the child has to go through that the trauma. And, and, uh, and after this whole, whole long article, he concludes the article. He says, when my son was born, I had him circumcised. <laughs> it's not for any medical reasons, but because the Torah says that your son will be cut off from his people. I don't want my son to be cut off from his people. When the Torah says, that's why most Jews come to synagogue on Yom Kippur. Logically, it makes no sense. If being Jewish means nothing a day before, it means nothing a day after, and 364 days a year means absolutely nothing, unless there's a bar mitzvah, you never come to synagogue. All of a sudden, one day, one day a year, I have, I have to be in shul, I have to be in synagogue. I'm a Jew. It doesn't make sense. But Yom Kippur touches a Jew in such a deep place. I'm a Jew, I have to identify as a Jew. I can't. It's not even a question. I have to fast in Yom Kippur. And the same thing, Passover. It's probably the most celebrated holiday. Families, Jews, sit around the Seder. Because it's something that touches the Jew so deeply. This is the birth of the Jew, the exodus from Egypt. This is our foundation. So you see that those areas where the Torah says you'll be cut off from your people means it touches the whole cord, the whole string, the whole rope. If you play with this, you're cutting off your whole connection. And the Jew says, I'm sorry. I'm a Jew. I can't. Not an option. So it beca- it's because it says, I'm sorry. No, it's because it says you, your soul will be cut off. So it's a fact that these mitzvah, these things, touch a Jew so deeply that a Jew just says, consciously, subconsciously, he says, listen, the rope is still there. I'm still connected. I identify as a Jew. I'm a Jew. And I can't sever that connection. Simply not an option for me. So he celebrates Yosh Hashanah. Right. Even Jews who are not observant. The Jews who are not religious. But I'm going to fast on Yom Kippur. I'm going to circumcise my son. And I'm going to celebrate Passover. You know, certain things you don't play with. You can't, I don't care what. But I'm a Jew. 
Bottom line is, I'm a Jew. The rope is still there. The connection is still there. I may have snipped a little here and there. I may have weakened the connection, but the rope is still there. I'm not walking away. I'm not totally disconnecting myself from my people. can So then it's only a, such a sin, such a strong, powerful sin that could have such effect, an effect that it could shake me to my core in essence. It can sever that whole connection. If it's a minor sin, then it can do damage. But that's the level of the rope. That's the level, that's the lower level. But then there's a higher level. When a Jew is tuned in, when a Jew is consciously tuned in and and your Jewishness resonates with you, and you're tuned in with the divine, with godliness, and you live your whole life, you're doing the divine will, and you, you're leading your life of trying to live a godly life, and to live like God wants us to live. And, and you know, your whole life is aligned. Every day of your life is aligned with the divine will, and you're fulfilling the divine purpose, and you're tuned in that there is a divine purpose, and there's a, there's a purpose why we're here, why God created us, and there's a, a desire, a will. God wants this world for a reason, and we are fulfilling that purpose by, doing, by following the divine will. There, even the slightest sin can create a barrier and interferes. And suddenly you're no longer getting that fresh breath the divine breath that carries us, that sustains us, that animates us, that gives us life and health and blessing and success. Even this, every, yeah. Every soul dies. How is death? Explained? The soul doesn't die. The body dies. The soul doesn't. The body dies. Energy doesn't disappear. Energy, energy doesn't energy die. Gets... Energy is energy doesn't die. The soul doesn't die. The personality doesn't die. Even now, when you, when you know someone, what do you know? You know his body? The body is a container. You know him, his personality. His, when he's sleeping, it's not him. It's not the body. It's when you see the body, you're not looking at the body. When you see a person, your friend, you don't see the body. What you see is what's inside. The personality, the character. That doesn't die. That doesn't die in a car accident. And that doesn't get burned to death. And that doesn't get shot to death. The personality lives on. The soul, the energy, that lives on. It's the physical, the physical that dies. But not the soul. The soul can't die. The soul doesn't die. So that's what he's introducing now. A minor sin cuts off the flow of life. But the rope is still there. But by doing a, a severe sin, you cut off the rope. Second paragraph, page 1055. During those times when the Jewish people received their vitality, only from the side of holiness, as for example during the period of the temple, as Alter Rebbe will say in the next chapter, the lack of this life force led to physical death. A Jew could not survive without that divine connection. Couldn't physically survive. And that we saw, by individuals we saw that, during the times of the temple, when the Jewish people were in a very high level. The fact that we had the temple means we, we were in a very elevated state of being. And the temple was a symptom of that elevated state of being. So when we're so plugged in and so connected that even individuals, when they sinned, they simply couldn't live. Physically, couldn't survive. Today, we don't have a temple. The temple has been destroyed. 
close to 2,000 years. But when you look at the Jewish people collectively as a whole, the same truth applies. The Jewish people cannot survive without our divine connection. Those who lost their divine connection were lost to the Jewish people. Every Jew that's alive today is because our ancestors, every one of us, our ancestors, thousands of years without any interruption, never lost that divine connection, never lost that rope, held on tight for dear life to that rope of life. Soul holds on to it. Well, here, no, here we're talking about here we're talking about the person who's alive. And in order for the, the I'm talking about the physical survival of the Jewish people. The physical survival of the Jewish people is dependent on us physically holding on to the rope. Here we're not talking about the souls okay. or in heaven. We're talking about our physical being, our physical well-being, our physical existence, soul in the body. In order for us to survive physically survive, for the Jew to survive, it's only through our divine connection. By holding on to that rope, by holding on to the tree of life, holding on to dear life. And this is what has physically sustained us. The moment we lose that connection, it affects our physical well-being and existence. And as the verse says in the book of Leviticus, in the Parsha's Emmer, that soul shall be cut off from before my face. I am God. The verse here uses God's name, his exclusive name, his personal name, referring to God. Excision thus involves being sundered from the internal aspect of godliness. And that's what Alter Rebbe says. The expression chosen is from before my face. The soul is excised from the innermost aspect of godliness, the divine name. What happens with other sins, sins that are not as severe? Other sins do cause at least a defect in the soul. It weakens the connection. In the sense of the defect or nick that invalidates a blade for ritual slaughter, the smallest snick, the blade which you slice the animal, uh, take the life of the animal has to be so sharp the animal doesn't feel any pain. It happens so quickly the uh, artery is severed so quickly that the animal feels zero pain and there's no fear. When they stun the animal the way the animal is killed conventionally it's, it's horrible because you stun the animal and the animal is very polite externally doesn't make a sound because they paralyze the animal. But the animal is not dead. And the animal is in horrible fear and anguish inside. And you know when a person is in anguish and in fear, according to the Easterns who have studied this, you know, like the person, you, you dredge up all these chemicals. So right before the animal dies, all this non-kosher meat, the way, the, the way they slaughter animals in Europe, where they banned kosher slaughtering, the way they do it is terrible. It's terrible for the animal and terrible for the people who eat that meat because the, it dredges up right before the animal dies. The animal dredges up all this fear and it floods the body. All these chemicals, poisonous chemicals that flood the body. And affects, ultimately affects the person who's eating it. 
That's why so many non-Jews look out to eat specially kosher food. Because they know how healthy your kosher food is. Even from a, from a, a simple health point of view. But here, the animal's not in fear, and the animal doesn't feel anything. Externally, it may look savage. The animal is still kicking, but it's totally reflex. Once you sever the, the, uh, the uh, cord, the uh, lung, the animal doesn't feel anything. But there's no pain, there's no fear. And it's the gentlest way to take the life of the animal. And that's the way the Jews... That's the way the Jews slaughter. It's a special slaughtering. So much so that the, the, we have to make sure the knife can't have any flicks on it. It has to be so smooth that the, that the animal shouldn't... shouldn't any hesitation. It's, the, the incision is so sharp and so quick and so... The animal doesn't feel a thing. So, but if there's a nick, then it invalidates the knife. So the slaughterer one of the things that he does, he has to be very sensitive. Between each slaughtering, he has to, with, his, uh, with the tip of his nails, has to check the knife and make sure there's no nicks. Smooth, 100% smooth. The knife is 100% smooth. So he says, so that's the, the, he's using that analogy that when you sin, you create a, a flick, you create a, a certain damage, a defect or a nick. So it, it, it's a defect. Just like with defective blade, the sin causes to be lacking in the rope-like flow of life force from the divine name downwards towards the soul, as he explains. This is analogous to a thick rope woven of 613 thin strands. On the top of page 1056. So too, the rope of the downward flow mentioned above is comprised of the 613 mitzvot. Each mitzvah being an individual thin strand. So every Jew receives his life sustenance through all 613 mitzvot. Although not all of the mitzvot are applicable to everyone. Certain mitzvot are only applicable to the priests. We're not priests. Certain mitzvot are applicable to the high priest. Certain mitzvot are applicable to the king. But spiritually speaking, every Jew is connected to all 613 mitzvot. When one violates one of them, God forbid, a thin strand consisting of that particular commandment is severed. Should an individual violate many commandments, God forbid, then many strands are severed and the rope is grievously weakened. Sin punishable by excision or death by divine agency causes the entire rope to be severed, heaven forbid. So if you do many sins, even minor sins, but if you, do, if you violate many, many, many sins, you really weaken the, the rope. But if you do a sin which the Torah says that your life is cut off, then you've, in one shot, in one fell swoop, you've severed the whole rope. You've severed your whole connection. So he's trying to explain in this chapter why is it that a Jew physically suffers when he sins. So much so that he loses his life. His life is not sustainable. Because a Jew's life, where does a Jew receive his life from? From God's breath. From, the, from within. Even the speech is also from the inner aspect of speech. And it's compared to a rope. That one end is connected to the body and the other end is connected to the divine name. 
So the Jew receives his life sustenance through the divine. If you play around with that divine connection, if you sever that divine connection, you do anything to harm or to diminish that divine connection, you create a barrier. And you, if it's a big and you also cut off a strand. In some sins, you cut off the whole rope. But then he's going to explain, at the end of the next chapter, there's another level of the soul in which a Jew always remains a Jew. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. That even a Jew violated the sin in which you receive curse. And even the self-hating Jew, and even the Jew so disconnected, ultimately, the essence can't be changed. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Not just up there, but even down here. So there's a third level, which cannot even be cannot be affected by sin altogether. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.